I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, understanding nonprofit finance. In today's episode, Matt Reef and Susan DeMarco join me to talk about managing the year-end fiscal close. Welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our first guest today is Matt Reef. Matt is a senior accountant with Brand K. Welcome, Matt. Amy, thanks for having me. I started working at Brand K about a year and a half ago. I graduated from William Patterson University in the midst of the pandemic. And since working with you, I've been, I was able to pass the CPA exam. Very cool. Thanks, Matt. And Matt, I know the topic of today's discussion is really around year end and closing out, you know, it's now February and closing out the year end for a lot of our clients whose fiscal years ended December 31st. But even for those who didn't, it's just a challenging time of year with 1099s and all sorts of other stuff. So how's it going? It's been a uh, busy month, but it's all good. And you, there's something new in every time you close out. Yeah, cool. So with that, I'm going to introduce our next guest, Susan DeMarco. Susan's Brand K's Chief Operating Officer and Chief Financial Officer. Um, and she's also one of my business partners. And we're thrilled to have Susan. Thank you. Amy, thank you so much. I'm so excited that I'm able to talk about something that I love. I've been with Brand K for about eight years now. I graduated from Rutgers with my bachelor's in accounting and an MBA. I have my CPA and I'm just super excited to work with Brand K. It's an amazing organization. Thank you, Susan. So today, once again, the topic is year-end. And January is always an absolutely dreadful month for a lot of accountants. And I think now that we come out of it February, we can breathe this big breath of fresh air, which is just glorious. So it was funny... Right before as the our podcast was starting, David, our podcast producer from Citizen Race Car, asked the question, you know, tell me this must be crazy because of taxes. And that's a common, that is a very common question that I get from people. But the funny part is, is that we work almost exclusively with nonprofit organizations and the tax ramifications are minimal. So Susan, could you just help us understand like why, what is the difference maybe between a year-end close for a nonprofit versus a small business like Brand K, who, where we do actually have to file taxes? Yeah. So it's just, you don't need to worry about paying taxes and filing these taxes. You're preparing financials for your, if you're going through an audit or a review to ensure that they're properly accounted for uh, with GAAP. So I think that is the biggest difference between the two organizations. And of course, the, you know, end users of who's going to be looking at these financials. And I guess like to elaborate on what Susan was saying, the end users, I think like at the end of a year-end financials, you know, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, often this is what gets it goes to external users. This is, you know, for even though the nonprofit doesn't necessarily pay income taxes, there is like a 990 that's filled out and that's for informational external purposes rather than, you know, your traditional uh, internal monthly reports. So I think that's a big difference. There's often different procedures around your end that I think can be intimidating to someone who's not familiar Yeah, actually, I really like that you just brought up the 990, Matt. And I think the 990 is the tax filing that nonprofits have to file. And it really, to your point, and I'd like you to delve into that a bit, it's really, it's almost an informational document. Could you talk about the 990 and the value that the 990 serves for nonprofits? Definitely. The 990 really is for transparency. The 990 allows external users to see, you know, what 
the main mission of the nonprofit is. It's very, it's for informational purposes. You know, you see their percentage of program or administrative expenses, and it's just great information, even for non financial users, like people that don't necessarily have the finance background, they can still glean some information from it. Susan, it's a fundraising tool, yeah. right? To a certain extent, the 990. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought up the program ratio, Max. I think it's important because a funder wants to know where their dollar is, how it's being spent. They want to fund the cause and not the administrative cost. So it's it's important and, and to keep on top of your program ratio and make sure it's a solid number. You know, obviously can't be unrealistic. If you're closer to 100%, everyone's going to question that. But I do also want to mention upon an audit report, I know a lot of states are raising their threshold and the audits are expensive. And I don't want, you know, nonprofit to shy away from an audit because they are avoiding the cost. Whereas, there's some funders out there who want an audited report. So you need to weigh your balance and and really see what is the appropriate decision to make for your organization. That's a really good point. And New Jersey just raised the audit threshold. And we should mention that the whether or not a nonprofit needs an audit is a state-by-state decision. So in New York right now, the threshold is $1 million. In New Jersey, it just went from $500,000 to $1 million, right, Susan? million. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and to Susan's point, a lot of our clients that were $750,000 or $500,000 that were required to have an audit are now saying, well, should we continue to do the audit even though it's no longer required? And yes, to Susan's point, it's it's a tricky balance. It's not clear cut because there are many funders that will still say, yes, even though the state does not require you to do this, we still want you to. Or there might just be, even if it's not explicitly stated, there might be an implication that if you don't continue to provide an audit, it could impact whether or not if they're going to still feel confident in the financial health of your organization. So I think our key tip to anyone listening would be just because you're not required to have an audit doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily have one. Talk to your funders and see how they feel and talk to your board because it's not clear cut at all. And oftentimes the audit and the 990 go hand in hand yes. like for reviews. Yeah, so the 990, so what we typically tell our clients is the 990 would be filed. The, it, you would do the review, you would do the audit. Once that's final, then you do the 990. Then in terms of, so for a lot of our clients, we're producing financial statements on a monthly basis, and these are unaudited statements. And so at year end, whether the fiscal year end is December 31st or it's June 30th or whatever, and I think in the nonprofit sector, we have fiscal year ends all over the place. I think the two most common are June 30th and December 31st, but it varies. And there are differences in sometimes how the audited financial statements look versus how the internal financial statements look. And it's, I I think, Matt, if you would please first maybe walk us through some things that happen at year end that don't necessarily happen throughout the year. Yeah, I'd be glad to. One of the main things I think that you have to be especially conscious of for year end, whether it's fiscal year ends, you know, 6.30 or calendar year ends, uh, 12.31, one of the main things is revenue recognition. You want to make sure that it's getting booked in the correct period. Like just because you know you might have received it in December doesn't mean you actually earned that revenue and you might have to recognize it in 2022, for example. So I think that's a big one. And like I said before, the stakes are maybe a little higher because these tend to be, at least if there's a mistake in an internal report, you can always correct it for the next 
set of financials internally, but usually these are the ones that are being audited. So you just want to be extra careful. And that's just one aspect of it. I'm sure, uh, Susan, you could probably elaborate on other atypical entries. Yes. As far as nonprofits, you're also starting to look at the restricted revenue and what was spent versus what is unspent and adjustments need to be made accordingly in the net assets and accounted for. That's something really important that auditors will look for. Yeah. I want to touch on revenue recognition a bit more because that's huge. And this is a big difference, I would argue, between the nonprofit sector and the for-profit sector is that the rules for revenue recognition are not intuitive and they can be extraordinarily confusing. And it really all comes down to the wording of the grant letter. And the wording of the grant letter can shift an organization from a deficit position to a surplus position drastically with just one transaction. Susan, right, we had a client who at the very end of their fiscal year received a five-year grant for $500,000 or was a three-year grant for $500,000. And because of the wording of the letter, they had to book that entire $500,000 on the last day of their fiscal year. So in that year then, they showed a massive surplus, but there were expenses that had to be expended in future years. So then in the future years, we effectively go into that period of time in a deficit position almost. It's very overwhelming to a board of directors and, and explaining that, that these are just the nonprofit accounting rules to a board of directors that consists of hedge fund managers sometimes and bankers and business people. This is like, they don't believe us when we go to explain this. So Susan, can you talk about that a bit? I know. And I always talk about this with, you know, anyone who comes on board that's new to the nonprofit world and executive directors who are new to like getting involved in the financials. You can't look at one year of an income statement of profit and loss report or statement of activities and really see how the organization is operating. Because like Amy had mentioned, you're recording the revenue based upon how it's written in the letter. And a lot of times their clients are recognizing the revenue up front, but they're not spending it for several years. So year one, you're showing a huge profit and year two and three, you're showing it a deficit. So the real health of a nonprofit is on the balance sheet and the net assets. And that's where you see how healthy a nonprofit organization is. You can't just look at a PL and think that, you know, wow, they they ended the year at like a $500,000 profit to think that this is consistently how they're going to operate each year. And Susan, I actually have something like personal. I was thinking in the past year with all these PPP loans, a lot of them were forgiven in 2021. And I don't want to get too technical, but the problem with that, and it's correct, but the cash flow was really in 2020. So I think a lot of people, they'll see 2021 financials and they'll be like, wow, we did so great financially. Whereas it doesn't necessarily paint the true picture of the cash flows. Like they received the money in 2020, but it was booked as a liability because it had to be you know, paid back before it was officially forgiven. Yep, you're absolutely right. So you have to look at the two in tandem. And that PPP again, I think this is going to be a big question for people this year especially for those that strictly receive funding in round two. You can record it in the year in which you can record the revenue the year that it was forgiven. I actually just had that with a nonprofit 
their fiscal year began October 1st. The loan was forgiven November 15th. We recorded it on November 15th. But there are other auditors that are saying, actually, no. If you know in a new fiscal year that it's forgiven, you put it back to the prior year. So I think there's two different schools of thought on this. And I think in our experience, we've had quite a bit of of flexibility in terms of where the, the funds should go. Yeah. So, you know, I want to give a a situation of a client that I had worked on. They received PPP and it was in a month after their year end when it got forgiven. We were recognizing their revenue as income because it was forgiven in the date that it was forgiven, which helped them in their new year because they they were concerned about their funds for the next coming year. The auditors came in and they put an entry in to record it in the previous year, which they had a fabulous end of the year great. I came in with the auditors, had a discussion with them. And that's something I do want you to be aware of that, you know, auditors are open for you to go in and explain to them why you think certain things should be booked a certain way. Don't assume that what they tell you needs to be done that way. That's a really good point. You and there should be open collaboration yes. with the auditor throughout the year. Yes. And they when should, there's questions. Definitely. And they shouldn't be surprised about things. You should have discussions about how things are booked. So no one's surprised, even the board, when they see financials that are completely different after the audit. But we were able to recognize it in the year that we wanted it to recognize it, in the year that, in the year that it was forgiven as opposed to pushing it back. To Matt's prior point, especially for organizations that received sizable loans, it really can skew the financials in one year. You have a mismatch between when the cash came in and when the revenue is being booked. So cash flow is like really, really important here to think about. So we typically spend a bit more time, right, on on year-end financials, Matt. So for a lot of the organizations that we work with, we try to close the books within two weeks every month. But at year-end... We're like, we're waiting for everything. We're waiting for straggling bills. The goal is to really make sure that everything that happens in the current fiscal year is actually going to be recorded in that fiscal year. So that changes the process a bit, right, Matt? So we take a little more time. And Amy, I guess one of the nice things about like working with the clients that we do, we have a little more flexibility in terms of like, I, I would have to imagine that large, like, huge organizations probably don't have that flexibility in terms of keeping the books open. You're right. So I think like, yes, there's an internal control, you know, aspect, but if we can keep it open and recognize a more accurate picture, I think that's a big thing. So Susan, could you maybe just talk a little bit about some of the complexities that happen at year end, particularly probably around 1099 processing for contractors and just what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. So I really, I look at you know, year-end and 1099 prep as a marathon. You can't go into it thinking you're going to finish nice and smooth. You got to prepare in advance and train and make sure you have the right resources to get you to that endpoint. So asking contractors for their W-9s immediately upon receiving an invoice to ensure that you have all the information. So when you are processing your 1099s in January, it's a smoother process. How many do you think we filed on behalf of our clients this year. And we have about... Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot, a lot. (laughs) Like close to a thousand probably, right? Yeah, for sure. Across, we file probably for 40 nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Close to a thousand. It's a lot. And we're filing electronically now, correct? Yes. And there are some states 
they want a copy of the 1099. So for example, New Jersey does, but they want it electronically. They don't want a paper copy. So we worked with a software program, tax1099.com, which would file it with both the IRS and the state. Whereas New York does not require a copy of their 1099. You just need to file it with the IRS. So it really varies. You know, you also, you have to close out the full year to ensure that anyone who meets that threshold for 2021, it was $600 that they received the 1099. So there's a lot going on, but if you're preparing in advance, you have the right resources, the staff who are knowledgeable and organized, and you develop a process, it's very seamless and smooth by January. Well, that's the whole thing, right? Like preparation is key. It just makes the year end so much easier to manage. The last thing we want to do, and I I do think that we were guilty of this for a few years, and I talked to other accounting firms, and I think this is sort of the norm, is there's this big scramble, like the last week of January, like, oh my goodness, I'm missing all of this information for so many of the organizations that we work with. And then it's like a mad dash to collect everything. And all this all has to be submitted to the IRS by January 31st. So definitely preparation is key. And the more we can get in advance, the better. Definitely. And something that we do at Brand K, we do a pre-1099 prep mid-year. We do a pre-1099 prep in December. So we've implemented this process for the last few years, and I found things just to be a lot smoother and less stressful come January. Then I guess another thing I wanted to add, like 1099s that we're trying to account for throughout the year, I think another thing is just like the balance sheet, we're not just doing the prepaid accruals at year end. You know, in a monthly review of the financials, we're making sure to tie to schedules and to get those, you know, accurate. But it's just perhaps a little more in depth. For example, fixed assets. You might want to go through the profit and loss, make sure you didn't expense something that maybe it should have been capitalized or vice versa. Maybe you capitalize something, maybe it should have been expensed. So it's like, there's a little bit more of a deep dive aspect at year end versus just a monthly um, close. Yeah. You know, Matt, I kind of like that because maybe that's like the overarching theme of this is that if you want year end to be smooth, keep the books clean on a monthly basis. Make sure that we understand that you understand all of the balances monthly. Like, so we shouldn't, if you have an accounts receivable balance on your books, make sure you understand what that is comprised of. If the books are being maintained and analyzed on a monthly basis, your end should theoretically be pretty easy, correct? Yeah, I would definitely say it would be, I couldn't imagine not having it clean throughout the year. I think it would make it a lot more difficult. Whereas I think it's not necessarily as easy as month close, but it's definitely not as tedious as it could. It could be disastrous if you, I'm thinking in the worst case scenario, you're not collecting W9s and you're not, you know, reviewing the balance sheet and things are just sitting there and definitely makes it a lot smoother. Well, and it's also like our clients' books are clean on a monthly basis and that's awesome. But if we can actually then use the books and educate our clients as to what's going on within the organization, that's also a tremendous value add. So I'll take it one step further. Organizations are making strategic decisions based on what we're telling them is happening. So if there's balances sitting around that we don't understand, bad decisions are going to be made if the underlying quality of the data isn't accurate. So there's this whole like cascade effect. Even the budget process, Amy, I will 
to current year financials and forecast it to the end of the year and use it as a guide to build out the budget for the following year. That's a great point because that's that also is like year end thing. When should nonprofits start the budget process and how does that typically fly? Yeah. So, I mean, I like to start it three months before year end. Okay. I will project out the financials for the remainder of the year and prepare, you know, obviously have discussions with key players of the organization, executive directors, to find out what their plan is for the upcoming year. Salary increases, any new personnel changes, thoughts on fundraising, funds that are expected in the upcoming year. And then we, you know, plug the numbers and take a look and and see how it looks in comparison to the current year and, you know, make adjustments accordingly. That makes sense. And I think you actually hit on a key point, which is the forecast is the basis for the next year's budget. So if you don't understand what's happening in the current fiscal year, your whole budget is going to be based on faulty data almost. And we're seeing it right now, Susan, right, with new organizations that we're even starting with. It's we're telling them, do not finalize your budget until we have a chance to make sure that the fiscal year that just ended is is clean so that you're using informed data. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is another thing I actually wanted to mention today. Sometimes around your end, you might think see things that from an accounting perspective are accurate, But from a presentational perspective, it just doesn't make sense. And this actually occurred with one of my clients this year. They have an endowment and they, on a monthly basis, they transfer in to under operating account. And at 1231, they transferred in January's investment. And it sounds minimal in the grand scheme of things, but at the end of the day, we moved it to 1-1-2022 because it more accurately reflects what even though it's not the technically most, you know, as accurate as, uh, as it, you know, but I think that's a, a fair point where, you know, sometimes it might, for presentational purposes, like at a year end close, it might make more sense. You might have to make those kinds of adjustments. I think that makes a lot of sense. And there is a difference between internal reporting and then the audited financial statements. And the two aren't necessarily going to look the same. And so it's really, it's just important that everybody understands the differences, that these are our internal reports, these are our external reports, and this is the gap. These are the differences kind of between the two. So I, I think that's actually a really good point. Just really quickly on Susan's, when we were just talking about the budget, I think I know for me, everyone's like in a panic come budget season. And it's like, oh my goodness, it absolutely, it has to be done and finalized and signed off on by the end of the year. I'm curious what your thoughts are with that. I don't think there's a drop dead year end, but you do want to have it done pretty early in the upcoming year because you want to have something to compare it to. You're looking at actuals. This is budget and you want to see, am I in line within what I had anticipated we're going to, where we're going to be. If I'm under budget in revenue, you know, having, you know, I'll make this up the following month with this, you know, having a, how you can make up for that shortfall in revenue, or if your expenses are a lot higher than what you had budgeted, well, are we going to be able to operate this year with these expenses? If not, we need to look back and cut back on something. So I think it's important to get it you know, you don't need it to get it right at that end of the year. Ideally, that would be great. But coming into the closing out the first month, it would be nice to have something to compare your actuals to. 
I agree. And then you can make final adjustments, right? So we always, I feel like we frequently tell our clients, if your fiscal year ends December 31st, let's try to have a rough working budget in place by early January. Let's see how the final books look. And then let's finalize the budget in February. And I feel like that's appropriate and it works. I'm even thinking about our own brand K budget. That's what we're, maybe I shouldn't admit live, but that's what we're doing right now. It's a work in progress. It's all constantly changing. And maybe, I don't know, could either of you, I also think that it's helpful, and this isn't necessarily year end, but I think as people are thinking about year end and starting a new year, I mean, we're big advocates of doing fiscal forecasts um, and maintaining, like that would be something great to implement in the in the new year. I don't know if anyone has any thoughts there on the difference between a forecast and a budget and why forecasts are valuable. Yeah, a forecast is definitely valuable because you're you pretty much have a plan of how things are going to happen. I get so excited when I forecast out a year and it ends the year that it's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm going, oh, that, that's amazing. You know, your budget is what you're planning for the year, but obviously things happen during the year. You know, COVID hit in March of a few years back. So things happen and you have to adjust and that's where you're forecasting. So you're not surprised at the end of the year as to why you ended the year that way. Helps you make adjustments along the way and help you, you know, end the year solid and strong. It's helpful because I find that when we set a budget for a client, it's stale within, or even for ourselves, it's stale within a week uh, because just so much is changing and funding can change. But the, so the, the the budget is like a, you know, a document that's set at a specific point in time, but the forecast, it's like an updated budget that's, that's being reviewed monthly and it allows you to pivot. So if the funding source that you were expecting doesn't come through, then you can, you know, then maybe there's something that can be done on the expense side to help mitigate that. It just allows you to play around and figure out how to move different pieces based on what's going on. Now, I'm a huge advocate of forecasts. To wrap up this episode, it would be very helpful if you could each provide one tip to our listeners, a best practice to follow for managing a year-end going forward. Matt, let's start with you. I'm going to take the easy one. Just collect your W-9s before even making payments. It will make your year-end a ton of smoother. And whether you're for-profit, non-profit, just a general best practice. My piece of advice is not to wait till the end. Uh, Make sure your monthly closes are clean and accurate. It will make your year-end close a lot smoother and you'll be less surprised with the bottom line. Perfect. Thanks so much to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Alex Brower, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.